Happy Easter. Last weekend was Palm Sunday weekend where we had the reading from the Passion according to Luke. And after Jesus' crucifixion, that we hear this, this is how the Passion account ended. The women who had come from Galilee with him followed behind. And when they had seen the tomb and the way in which his body was laid in it, they returned and prepared spices and perfumed oils. They rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And so they were faithful Jews. And so on the Sabbath, which would be our Saturday, uh, they didn't do any work. They, they rested. But now today's gospel, it says at daybreak on the first day of the week, that would be today, Sunday, the women who had come from Galilee with Jesus took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They find that the stone has been rolled away, and when they enter, they don't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Instead, two men in dazzling garments appeared to them. Who were these two men? Well, this is where I'm going to rely on Father George Smiga, who recently wrote a book called Angels in the Bible. He writes, Who are these men, and why are they there? The short answer is that they are angels. But if that is the case, why doesn't Luke identify them as two men? Luke is simply following normal biblical practice. There is no single word in the Bible that identifies an angel. Instead, there are a variety of terms that refer to beings of heavenly status who are distinct from God and humans. Angels can be called sons of God, the holy ones, watchers, and even gods. The most common word to designate an angel is messenger. The Hebrew word for messenger is malak. The Greek equivalent is agelos, and that's where we get our English word angels. So it means messenger. Now, in many biblical passages, angels are described as men. This is the case of the three men who visited Abraham and the man who wrestles with Jacob at the river. In such passages, we can only detect the presence of an angel from the context or the way by which the characters act. This is true of the, quote, two men that Luke places at the empty tomb. He could have called them angels, but he does not have to do so. We know they are heavenly messengers by what they do. And what they do is announce Jesus' resurrection. That is the message that we hear this morning. They say, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He has been raised. And that makes all the difference for those early apostles, for us throughout church history, for us today. He is risen. The resurrection of Jesus is God's response to Jesus' death, God's vindication of Jesus, and God's validation of Jesus' preaching of the kingdom to the poor, the outcast, and the penitent. This is the heart of the matter for our faith as Christians. Now, the early Christians this Peter that we heard at the end of today's gospel, it says he saw the empty tomb. He had heard the, about from the message from the women. He was amazed. But then his life is transformed. 
he does have an experience of the risen Jesus, and then he has the experience of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. And now in our first reading from Acts, Peter is boldly proclaiming the message of Jesus' resurrection. He says, we are witnesses to this. And Peter went from Jerusalem. He goes to Rome to proclaim the good news. Speaking of going to Rome, we have here Riley O'Shea, who has been serving at every Mass through the Holy Triduum. And Riley is from our parish. He is now a seminarian at Sacred Heart Seminarian, at Seminary in Detroit. Part of his preparation for the priesthood is, uh, we mentioned this last year, that uh, Riley's class was, was, was scheduled to be going to the Holy Land next month. Well, because of the conflict going on there, that's not possible this year. We want to pray for peace there and peace for Ukraine and everywhere else, too. They are going to Rome. Are you going there for pasta and gelato? Eh, they may get a little bit of that there. When you think about Rome, you think about the Roman Empire and the Caesars. And if you go to Rome today... There's still all these Roman ruins of all the, the ways this empire was, uh, and you, you, was built. But that's not why they're going. They're going, again, because with Peter, going to Rome, along with the Holy Land, it's Rome that is the earliest basis of our faith, of those early Christians. One of the places that I was talking to Riley earlier today about this to go is there's a couple churches there that are said to be among the very oldest in Rome. And T Timothy chapter 4, verse 21, refers to a Pudens. Tradition has it that he was a Roman senator who became a Christian. St. Peter lived at his home for seven years. He had two daughters, Pudensia and Prasdeda, both of whom... Uh, helped the early Christians, and then later were martyred. And they have, uh, each have a church named after them. The one that I really struck me was St. Prasadia. And if you go into that church, what you'll notice is this huge arch. And here's the thing. This is called an Arch of Triumph, Previously, arches of triumph referred to the arches constructed by a Roman emperor to commemorate his victory over an enemy. This is arch is the first time the term was applied to a church. It represents the victory of Christ over sin and death. You know, those Roman emperors come and go, but what that arch in that church represents changes life forever. Jesus is risen. We don't have an arch in our church that I'm aware of, but we do have this Easter candle. This Easter candle was lit from the blessed Easter fire last night, right at the beginning of our Easter vigil. It was used for blessing the holy water that we used uh, that where we had five people baptized last night. And that last night, too, part of the vigil service is everybody gets a candle as a sign of sharing in the light of Christ. This candle represents Christ's resurrection 
And so all the baptized share in, the, in Christ risen. You'll notice this is a good-sized candle, huh? That's because this candle, every time you come to Mass here for the next 50 days, this candle will be lit. This is what we celebrate today. Christ's resurrection from the dead is too big of a mystery to be contained in one day. It's a 50-day celebration. So you can eat Easter candy the next 50 days if you want, all right? But we rejoice in the resurrection of Christ, and this candle is a sign for us of that. I mentioned the Easter candle was used with the baptisms we had last night. Every time we have a baptism in church, this candle is brought out as a way, and then, and then the newly baptized receives a candle to receive the light of Christ. Let your faith shine brightly. There's another time when this candle is brought out. Can anybody tell me when that is? It's used at funerals. Yes, any time that we have a funeral, we put the Easter candle right up front. Even as the family is mourning the death of their loved one, this candle is to remind them that their loved one, as they have died with Christ, they will also rise with him. Today I talk to you a little bit about angels. Angels, they are messengers. They are messengers today at the tomb of Jesus. He is not here. He is risen. May we proclaim that message by what we say and how we live. Happy Easter.